Today marks 75 years since the Universal Declaration of Human Rights was adopted by the United Nations General Assembly in Paris on the 10th of December 1948, with an Australian, Doc Evatt, presiding. The declaration was the first global affirmation of, quote, the inherent dignity and of the equal and inalienable rights of all members of the human family as the foundation of freedom, justice and peace in the world. The declaration was drafted by a committee chaired by Eleanor Roosevelt with people from nine countries, including Australia, which was represented by a lesser-known figure, Colonel William Roy Hodgson. Hodgson was a war veteran described by a CEO of Civil Liberties Australia as courageous in both war and peace, who gave the world a legacy of civil liberties and human rights principles which continue to guide global society in the 21st century. And I'm very pleased to say we're joined now by Dr. Renee Barker, who's a senior lecturer at the University of Western Australia's Law School and the author of the recent article, Colonel William Roy Hodgson, Australia's Forgotten Contributor to the Development of International Human Rights. Dr. Barker, welcome to Sunday Extra. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Renee, could you give us an overview of William Hodgson's life? I think starting with his military service, because as far as I can tell, he was very much the military man. Absolutely. So uh, Colonel William Roy Hodgson was a veteran of the First World War. He was actually at Gallipoli, so he is an Anzac. And almost everything you read about him, and, and there is not a lot, but there is some that's been written, references that war service. And it was clearly a really fundamental, pivotal moment for a young 17-year-old out on the war field. And he was actually injured at Gallipoli, uh, presumed dead. He's actually reported dead uh, in his local newspaper. You can read an obituary for him in his hometown uh, and his local uh, school teacher describing him and his love of rifle shooting, which may explain how he ended up uh, as a military person. Uh, he had been to Duntroon and was passed out fourth in his class in the inaugural Duntroon class, but then, yeah, injured at Gallipoli, and he carried that wound for the rest of his life. Later, descriptions of him describe him as having a limp, uh, and that was attributed to his wartime service and then other references to him having ongoing medical issues as a result of his wartime service throughout his life. So he began as a soldier, returned to Australia, but he's obviously survived despite the obituary written about him during World War One. It was a, written in error. Uh, and he returned to Australia uh, but eventually ended up in our diplomatic service and ended up as the first uh, secretary for the Department of Foreign Affairs. Initially he was out in the Prime Minister Department before the External Affairs Department was created and then ends up as the first secretary under Doc Ebert. And he was then for a second time a military man involved in war, this time not as a combatant, but in advising the government as World War II began to become more and more inevitable and, of course, during the conduct of World War II itself. And, and I gather that he was very close to Prime Minister John Curtin, a wartime Prime Minister, and perhaps, uh, as turned out to be significant later on, not so close to H.V. Everett. Yeah, so he appears to have been a confidant of the Prime Minister at the time. Uh, there's certainly suggestions in some of the records that he agreed with him on, on the issues around appeasement and the build-up to war. But no, not, not close with Ebert. Contemporaries sort of comment on their strained relationship. And it seems to me that, in fact, goes back to Colonel William Hodges being a military man. And as a military man, he valued loyalty. And he valued that personal loyalty where 
know, if you're friends with someone, you owe somebody, you are loyal to them, seems to be something that Everett himself didn't value. And I think Hodgson's found that very difficult. I mean, Hodgson's is consistently described as being peppery, having an aggravating personality, being fiery, <laughs> uh, being stubborn. Uh, so very much the picture of an Australian war veteran, you know, a bit rough around the edges, not your smooth diplomat. Which you, you've got to keep in mind, this is a diplomatic thing that he went to do. He became part of the Australian diplomatic corps, but he was not a diplomat in any of the descriptions by both Australians, his contemporaries, as well as international people. They always describe him as fiery, peppery, aggravating, uh, and a really hard man to get along with by the sound of it. Yeah, so uh, quite the challenging temperament by the sounds. And I suppose in a way that makes his contribution to the drafting of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights all the more interesting because despite those sort of adverse assessments of his temperament, it does seem that he won a lot of praise and respect both in Australia and internationally. Renee, could you tell us a little bit about the process that led to the development of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and where Colonel William Roy Hodgson fitted into that? So William Roy Hodgson was our representative on the Human Rights Commission, which was chaired by Eleanor Roosevelt, that was put together to draft uh, some sort of document to, to govern international human rights. And as part of that commission's work, they decided to have a drafting committee. Now, initially, uh, Hodgson was not on that drafting committee. It was just a four-person, meant to be quite small and tight. Uh, but uh, Eleanor Roosevelt quickly discovered that that was uh, not going to work and that <laughs> the committee was underrepresentative. And, you know, particularly significantly, the original committee didn't have a representation from the USSR on it. And it was so important that the USSR was on board with human rights. If they weren't going to be on board, this project was going to fail at the start. So she expanded the drafting committee to nine people and that included Australia's representative, William Roy Hodgson. And so then he worked over the next 12 to 18 months with that committee, uh, drafting, sitting in meetings. Um, the official transcript of what officially happened is, if you read through papers of others who were there, suggests that's just a fraction of what they actually did. Mm. Um, Eleanor Roosevelt was known for holding tea parties, um, <laughs> and these tea parties were places where stuff got done. Um, and so William Roy Hodgson would have been part of that process. He was certainly part of many of the official transcripts and meetings, although interestingly he sort of disappears in the latter half, and I suspect that is because, and I don't know, but I suspect that's because he had a real passion for enforcement. So the idea that human rights should be enforced, and he raises this in every commission meeting, every drafting committee meeting, he wants human rights to be enforceable. And reading between the lines, I really feel that's referable back to his wartime service. He's seen war twice, once as a combatant and once as somebody sending other people into combat, and he wanted peace. And he felt that human rights and enforceable human rights were key to that. He disappears a little to the end. I, I suspect it might be he got frustrated that his thing he was passionate about was missing. Yes, well, I was going to ask you about that, whether it was him getting frustrated or was he perhaps marginalised a little because of his insistence on that point. And I suppose in a way that opens up the question of how significant was Hodgson's contribution to what became the Universal Declaration that we are marking the 75th anniversary of now. And I suppose from your purposes, how do you go about measuring that significance? What's there to go on? Yeah, I mean, certainly in terms of that marginalisation question, I wrote my paper as part of a conference on founders of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and particularly looking at the ethics and values and religious beliefs of those founders. Now, hasn't had we found nothing about Hodgson's religious <laughs> beliefs? Um, don't know anything about it. He was a very private man in that regard. 
But, yeah, that marginalisation question was raised because he's not the only one who sort of disappears from the literature the moment the uh, declaration signed. He's not really mentioned by other founders. He's not sort of put up there by the uh, human rights and groups and those who talk about it. And that question of marginalisation came up, and that's certainly a possibility. Those who pushed for things that were not part of Eleanor Roosevelt's agenda and some of the others, such as Malik and PC Chang's agenda, do disappear from the history books, um, and Hodgson's is certainly one of those. But his contribution is consistently recognised not just by contemporaries at the time who were Australian, but by contemporaries from other countries. And in the media reporting at the time, talked about his significance of his contribution. The nature of it is a little bit vague in those reports. But I suspect he was the one of the people who kept things on track. When you read through the transcripts of the debates, he's always talking about the agenda and wanting to rearrange when you discuss things and how things are done. And on one hand, you can say he's a grumpy old man uh, <laughs> trying to be a pain in the bottom. Um, but when you look at the things he's actually raising an issue about on the agenda, it's almost always about order and efficiency and making sure there's an underlying philosophy, wanting things that are the same to be talked about at the same time, wanting to make sure the committee is being effective and efficient in their work, making sure they're not wasting time on things that are not going to be relevant, making sure they actually discuss those things that need to be discussed. So I suspect his contribution was in driving the thing forward, making sure it actually happened, it happened efficiently and effectively. And if you think about that as his contribution, then all the praise you hear about him makes sense because they would have recognised that he was one of the people keeping them on track. And maybe we might not have got it on the 10th of December had it not been for him driving them and keeping it going. It could have dragged on for years. What else do we know about Hodgson in terms of his personal life or indeed what became of him after his work on the Universal Declaration of Human Rights? So he stayed as an Australian diplomat. He had various postings. I mean, at the UN, he sat on numerous commissions and committees for Australia. He had a number of diplomatic postings afterwards. But he sort of fades from the record and disappears. And when he finally returns back to Australia, he does get a final farewell dinner. But he was almost forgotten and, and everyone sort of forgot him, um, which is a bit sad given his contribution. But as we spoke about before, I suspect that his view around uh, enforcement was not uh, what went forward. And so I think he may have been marginalised a little bit. And Australia moved on. You know, he was a, a man, a diplomat for a moment, and then Australia moved on to other things. But we, we know his wife uh, died while he was at the United Nations uh, in 1945 and there's comment that now how much he missed her during that. And just one line in a report by someone who knew him at the time, another member of the diplomatic corps. And so that suggests there was a softer side to this man who was known for his fiery, peppery approach. We know he spoke fluent French. Uh, we know he liked to collect fine china, or at least there was a report that he liked to collect fine china and antiques. So I suspect there's much more to discover about the man. I think he's a complex man and one I think Australia should rediscover. Well, certainly the snapshot you've given us is fascinating and it's great to expand our knowledge of the group of Australians who contributed to what is obviously such a profoundly significant document. Renee, thank you so much for speaking with us on Sunday Extra. That was wonderful to be here and to speak about such a, a complex Australian so, so few of us know anything about. Absolutely. The article is Colonel William Roy Hodgson, Australia's forgotten contributor to the development of international human rights. And that was written by our guest, Dr. Renee Barker, Senior Lecturer at the University of Western Australia's Law School. And although one of the most common adjectives used about William Roy Hodgson 
is forgotten. His contribution is recognised on the Human Rights Commission's webpage about Australians who contributed to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, noting also the role of Doc Evatt and Jessie Street, who was the only woman in Australia's delegation to the United Nations and was a part of the successful effort lobbying to change the opening of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights from wording that said all men and brothers to all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.